Amen. All right, get in your Bible to Romans 12. Romans 12. Hey, Cher, could you uh, please give one of these to anybody else who comes in? Romans chapter 12. We have uh, now for, I guess, about eight weeks been talking uh, together about some very clear and uh, difficult subjects at times for couples, but uh, we're on week nine of the 14 I have planned, and uh, uh, again, uh, like I say every time before we start, uh, I mean, these are not things that my wife and I practice perfectly. Uh, These are things that we strive to practice. And to the degree over the years that we've gotten better at these things, uh, it's just made our home and our marriage uh, better. Uh, my wife is here. Uh, my daughter-in-law is here. Uh, and, and so, you, you know, they would tell you the same thing. Uh, these are things we strive for but don't uh, perfectly do. But our home, by the grace of God, is a peaceful place. And uh, I'm thankful uh, for that. Uh, before we begin uh, answering questions you turned in, uh, just to review the same nine things we review uh, every time when we get together. Number one, nothing can be taken back. That's been done to this point. What's done is done. Uh, number two, all that any of us can hope to change is today and tomorrow, and by the grace of God, they can change. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day, uh, so you're not going to get out in a day. But by the grace of God, things can be better and you can get out. Number four, you can only control one person in this world. And so I ask just that uh, you focus on that one when we're in the class and in your relationship at home. Uh, even one person who's under control will, will make every situation better. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. Uh, remember, God is love. If you don't love anymore, with God involved, you can love again. If you don't love enough, with God involved, you can love like you should. If you decide you never loved, uh, with God involved, you can begin to love. Number six, no one's destined to repeat the home in which you were raised. If it was bad, you can succeed. Uh, Number seven, no one's assured to have a great marriage. If you were raised in a great home, you can fail. Number eight, the marriage that you are in now is a marriage you're supposed to be working on. And number nine, the person to whom you are married now is the one to whom you are supposed to be married. Uh, The questions that you've uh, turned in uh, before we get to some new stuff, and um, again, some of these are uh, from the past, some from from this week. Uh, All of them, I I hope, just to help you as we apply the things we've been talking about. Question number one, can you be married without all the legal stuff? Uh, Depends on what you mean by married. You know, in the eyes of the American court system, in some states, you are entitled to many of the benefits of being legally married if you've lived together for a certain number of years. Uh, Since 1991 in Ohio, uh, there is no common law marriage and there is no common law divorce. And so in Ohio, no matter how long you've been together or how long you've been apart, uh, that doesn't matter. Uh, But I wish you would hear me. I, I believe in the eyes of God Marriage is more than that. Uh, In the eyes of God, 
Uh, marriage is more than a physical relationship or living together. Uh, check, see what Jesus told uh, the woman at the well in Samaria. He said to her, you've had five husbands. The man you have now is not your husband. It's more than living together uh, and, and having sex together to be married in God's eyes. Uh, I personally believe that to be married in God's eyes, it is a commitment, uh, a covenant that you make with each other before God and witnesses to stay together for life. Uh, some biblical Christians, and I probably would agree with this in America in our day, it's that and to have an institution that's recognized by the government. You say, why would you include that? Uh, because in the Old Testament, you were required to write a, quote, bill of divorcement to officially annul something. And so there was, in marriage, uh, among the Jews, there was a legal aspect also. Let me just say this. If you uh, intend to covenant together, to be together for life, why not just take the necessary steps to make it legal? Uh, for the sake of your testimony. Uh, question number two, is arguing ever healthy? Uh, as I've said repeatedly, I do believe it's healthy to disagree with your spouse from time to time in some things. Now, depending on what you mean by the word argue, uh, it's also healthy to argue on occasion. I do not believe it is ever healthy to fight, uh, to yell, or to say hurtful things in a disrespectful manner when you disagree. Uh, but again, I, I believe it is good and is healthy to disagree at times. Listen, you are two different people with two different perspectives who are each supposed to bring something to a situation. Remember, if you always agree about everything, one of you is unnecessary. Um, it is very important that you have a head and a heart in the home. And so... Uh, you know, God has taught us how to handle these disagreements. That's what we're talking about uh, when we get teaching again. Question number three, how do I keep from getting worked up in a disagreement? I try to diffuse arguments. Uh, my spouse keeps them going, and I eventually burst out. Um, I would start by making your temper a matter of daily prayer. You know, if you're somebody who's given to temper, every morning a part of your prayer ought to be, God, please help me today. Uh, to have my anger uh, under control. I mean, every day that should be a part of your prayer life. By the way, uh, Romans 15 says that the scriptures give us patience and comfort. And so reading the scriptures every day will help you uh, have a longer wick uh, in the morning before I read the scriptures. Uh, I mean, I, I won't say every day, but very often pray before I read, oh, Lord, please grant me the patience and comfort of the scriptures that I could patiently deal with whatever it is you have for me today, and that I could comfort others with the comfort that I have from, from you. Um, I will also say this. Stop giving yourself the right to, uh, to lose your, blow your stack when you're, when you're angry. Um, you know, practically speaking, have conversations you're going to disagree about at better times. Uh, please, and uh, that listen to this sentence. You did not lose your temper because of your spouse. You lost your temper because you did not control yourself. Listen, whenever we blame, whoever or whatever we blame for losing our temper, that is us giving control of ourselves to that. 
Okay, one of the greatest lessons we teach our children, one of the greatest lessons we learn ourselves is to not give control of yourself over to anyone or anything but Jesus in the scriptures. And, um, and again, I know I said this last week and it sounds funny, uh, and I will probably say it several times more over the course uh, of the next couple weeks because of the subject you're on. You know, ask yourself the question, why don't you pick up a gun or a knife and stab or shoot somebody when you're angry? And the obvious answer to that is, you know what, I've decided that no matter how angry I get, I'm not going to stab or shoot them. And all you need to do is just put more things on that list. No matter how angry I get, I will not, and you fill in the blank. And it, it will really, really help you. By the way, everybody has problems with their temper to one degree or another. Everybody. Uh, just do these practical things to help you. Question number four. How can I give constructive advice to my spouse when they're always defensive and turn it into an argument? Um, f- first off, very few spouses take constructive advice. Uh, from their spouse. I didn't say it should be that way, but part of our fallen nature, because we know them and their faults so well, and because all of us hate authority in our heart, uh, kind of the last person we want to take constructive advice from is our spouse. It really should be the opposite, but it kind of doesn't generally uh, work that way. But just because they won't take it doesn't mean you shouldn't offer it. Uh, If they won't listen to it, you know, keep yourself in a biblical church where very often you'll have me or some other teacher uh, tell them the same thing that you told them. And maybe they'll listen uh, uh, better. Uh, pick a good time to offer your advice. Uh, put a little asterisk by this. Give less advice. And then when you give advice, it will mean more. Listen, if you're the kind of person who always has something to say and and always correcting and always has something to say, what you say just goes into a big pile of mush. Uh, If, on the other hand, you on occasion bring up something, uh, then then it means more. Question number five. My spouse has threatened to hurt themselves or leave during arguments. I'm terrified to allow them to walk away. And part of that is when we talked Last week, one of the things I said is that when you find you're in a disagreement and and you feel like you're getting to the point where you might handle it badly, you you should say something like, uh, I need to walk away for a minute, let's talk again in, you know, 30 minutes or 6 minutes, whatever, 15 minutes. And so this this comes from that. And um, what I would say is is this... um, There are a lot of people who try to manipulate the people around them uh, by things. People try to manipulate people around them through withholding sex. People manipulate people around them with their temper. People manipulate people around them by threatening to hurt themselves. Uh, There are a lot of ways that people manipulate uh, the people uh, around them. And so what I would say to you is make sure that uh, a, you do everything you can to keep yourself under control. Uh, B, that you make the situation a matter of prayer. Re- remember, the way we disagree, if, you, if you're wise, uh, you make the situation a matter of prayer. 
you think up, uh, uh, come up with a couple of clear examples of what you're talking about. You pick a good time. You pick a good tone. You have an adult conversation. And if that's the way they're going to respond, there's nothing you can do. Listen, there is nothing you can do if your spouse decides that they're going to hurt themselves or leave. There's nothing you can do if they're going to choose to be that way. I, I wish I could say, hey, there's something you can do, and they won't do that. But that's just not accurate. All you can do is control yourself and bring this up to them in a good time and a good tone. I, I personally think that that is a childish behavior rather than adult behavior. Um, question number six, our last question for today. Communicating with my spouse often leads to a fight because they refuse to discuss anything sensitive. How do you handle a spouse who is avoidant? Um, first off, you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. Is what you're trying to talk about really need to be talked about? You know, a lot of th times we feel we need to talk about something but doesn't necessarily really need to be talked about. And if it's a sensitive subject and it really needs to be talked about, then you make a matter of, uh, an issue a matter of prayer, come up with a couple of good examples, pick a good time and pick a good tone. You know, what's going to happen, practically speaking, in a relationship is one person is most of the time going to have things they want to talk about and settle by talking about that your spouse uh, doesn't want to talk about most of the time. And so you need to ask yourself, is it really important? If it's really important, have the conversation under those circumstances. If it's not, well, why are you causing all this strife? See, what that means practically is that you're going to have to talk to God about some things that your spouse doesn't want to talk about and you're not really, they're not ready to talk about. Uh, remember, Jesus is more than just fire insurance. Uh, he's not just something you are glad you have when you die to stay out of hell. Listen, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it is something that on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis makes a difference in our life. And today we're going to uh, pick up on our second part of uh, fair fighting, uh, how to disagree without hurting one another. Remember, you will inevitably disagree, inevitably. Uh, but that does not mean you ever have to have a serious fight how do we handle these things? Do, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Romans 12, 17 is where we'll start this morning. It says this. It says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved... Avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know if you picked up on that, but in that little section are several practical pieces of advice about how to get along better. Now, the early chapters of Romans, they're, they're theology, and unless you're into theology, I think it's a difficult part of the Bible, but the last couple chapters of Romans are, are very practical about how to get along in the church, and these things certainly how to apply for getting along in our own homes. Notice in verse 17, stop returning evil for evil. 
Uh, recompense no man evil for evil. Uh, in, in, uh, in other words, stop using them doing wrong as an excuse for you to do wrong. When they say something mean, don't return something mean. Uh, that is a way to live peaceably. Notice in verse 18, make a strong effort to live peaceably, as if it, as if it be possible, as much as lieth in you. You know, I don't, I don't think a lot of times we want to make the effort to live peaceably because we kind of like to mix it up here and there. I had somebody one time tell me when I was counseling them in marriage that they kind of like to stir things up every once in a while, otherwise to them it gets too boring. Uh, you, you know what, I don't know. I, I would rather live peaceably. And, and so that's going to take effort, a strong effort. Uh, if you're going to try to live peaceably and make effort, it means you're going to have to forgive them on purpose. And, and in the vast majority of cases, it is possible to live peaceably. Uh, notice in verse 19, we need to leave any vengeance that needs to be taken to God. Avenge not yourself. Uh, because vengeance belongs to God. God will repay. Uh, now I hope in your marriage you're not to the place where you're looking for God to drop judgment on them. Uh, but that will happen sometimes in bad situations. But a lot of times when there are ex-spouses involved, it, it's really easy to want God's vengeance in there. And you know what? It's just not our place to take vengeance. It's God. That's God's job. Uh, I think probably everybody would agree with me when I say, you know what, if vengeance was in my hands, I'd take too much of it. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Uh, and then, to me, th this is college-level Christianity in verse 21. About be not overcome of evil, overcome evil with, with good. You know, it isn't enough from verse 17 to not give evil for evil. The most mature way to do is to return good for evil. By the way, that's what Jesus did. And that's not elementary school Christianity. That's not elementary school adult uh, uh, responses. But you, you know what? Even though it's difficult, that, that's really what Christ is looking for from us. And by the grace of God, you and I, with Christ in our life, can do the supernatural thing. Um, so we are talking then, practically speaking, those are practical things about how to live peaceably, and we're practically talking about how to handle our disagreements better. And remember last week, we started talking about being careful how we talk when we disagree. Do you remember those suggestions? Avoid yelling. Avoid using the words always and never. Avoid conflict in front of the children uh, whenever possible, especially if it was over them. Number four, avoid bringing up the past. Uh, number five, avoid talking too much. And if you go to Proverbs chapter 8, we'll pick up kind of where we left off last week, just practically applying how to control our tongues, <laughs> how to talk better when we disagree. Well, I, I know that, that probably the vast majority of the people in this class did not see this modeled in your home. Uh, even if you're home, even if you had two Christian parents, I, I I know the vast majority of people have not seen this model. But I just want to tell you, you can do this, and you can always model something different and reflective of Christ to your children. 
which gets us to our sixth thing about controlling uh, our tongues. And in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 8, it says this, All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There's nothing forward or perverse in them. Here's number six. Don't use profanity. <laughs> now, in the surveys we turned out, about 20% of you uh, do use profanity when you disagree. By the way, uh, just because people do it doesn't make it right. Now, the third of the Ten Commandments warns us about blasphemy, uh, and obviously that specifically refers to the way we use God's name, either as a curse word or uselessly at the end of the sentence. But again, like I said last week, I think very often we don't... uh, properly value the power of our words. Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the judgment. Paul said, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Please don't excuse your profanity because it's not blasphemy. If we are wise, there should be no, nothing froward or perverse in our words. By the way, uh, using profanity when we're angry, it's a bad example to your kids. And, and so if you don't have kids yet, now's a good time to quit cussing. Uh, number seven, <laughs> uh, don't say things you don't mean. Uh, by the way, this starts with what parents allow from their children. Uh, 20% of you uh, from our surveys have threatened to leave or to get a divorce. Now, even though that's a little lower than the last time I taught this class, I mean, it's still not good. Listen, you ought to just decide you will never say things like, I hate you, Uh, I want a divorce, we should get a divorce, I don't know why I ever married you, you're stupid. You just have to decide. Just like you don't grab a knife, just like you don't grab a gun, you just have to decide those words are never going to come out of your mouth. You will never, under any circumstances, say, uh, I want a divorce, or we should get a divorce. or, or Stop doing that stuff. Listen, it is very different to say, I hate when you do that, and I hate you. It's very different to say, you're stupid, and... That's a stupid thing to do. Listen, this kinds of careless talk, and, and, and I know, listen, everybody that works in the workplace knows you can't say all kinds of things in the workplace, and then we get home, and we give ourselves license to talk any way we want, especially when we're mad to our spouse, and then we, un, we wonder why our marriage is insecure. We wonder why our children don't feel security. Stop saying everything you don't mean. Go back a few pages to Proverbs 8, or maybe it isn't, or I guess it's a few pages up, 28, I'm sorry. Here's number eight, don't say something because you feel that way at the moment. By the way, this is another great thing to teach your kids. You ought to never let your kids say to one another, to you, I hate you. I mean, that's where that habit starts. You just need to, from the earliest days of their consciousness, just not overlook that stuff. Some of you here, you're trying to quit this stuff, and you started it when you were a kid. Proverbs 28, 26, uh, the first part of that verse, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, 
Whoso walketh wisely shall be delivered. If that, the first half of that is not underlined or highlighted in your Bible in, in some way, that, that, is, that is a great life principle. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Say, why? Because our Bible says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Listen, everybody here knows that you have been, your heart has misled you. God says don't trust it. Our feelings are fickle. Uh, the very best marriages are going to have moments when you don't, quote, feel love. I didn't say it's okay to stay that way. When you recognize that, you need to, to fix it. But listen, if you don't, quote, feel love at that moment and use it as an excuse to say something, uh, you're just going to hurt your home. Number nine, uh, don't say anything you want to win the argument. Uh, how many people in here are competitive? I don't believe that. That's hardly anybody. Listen, I, it's not just me. I mean, if I'm playing Candyland, I'm playing Candyland to win. Now, I'm, I'm not saying when our kids were little, I didn't deal off the bottom of the deck to uh, distribute around who won and lost because I felt it was good for them to learn to lose and to learn to win. Uh, I, I'm just saying, when I did that, I'm like, I want to win Candyland. And, and, and if you're not careful, if you're a competitive person, some of you, I know you and you're competitive, and you can lift, lift your hand. Uh, listen, if I'm playing something, the last thing I do before I die, I'll bite your ankle. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just wired that way. But if you bring that kind of mentality into a disagreement, you're really going to hurt your spouse. You've you got to decide that the important thing is not to win the disagreement. And I'm speaking to myself. The important thing is to arrive at the truth to arrive at what God wants in the situation. That's what it's really about. It's not about winning. And if you have this mentality, okay, we're, in a, we're, we're, we're disagreeing now. I'm going to win this thing. You, you, you're, going, you're setting yourself up to do bad things. Um, go up in your Bible to Galatians 6. If you want, you can keep your hand there because we'll be back in Proverbs in a moment. I hope everybody just regularly reads Proverbs. I mean, I don't care what kind of a plan you're on to read it. Uh, I personally uh, read 14 chapters every month, so I read half of a chapter uh, every day, and then that gives me, in months like August, three days to blow it, and uh, in months like February, zero days to blow it. Um, whatever you're on, I mean, just, it is the wisdom of God and uh, that's why when we talk about practical things like getting along and, and how to handle disagreement, you'll be in Proverbs all the time. But this is not in Proverbs, and, and this is a great life principle. I mean, a great life principle. Uh, here, here's the last thing when it comes to controlling our mouth. Be quick to apologize for your part. I want you to notice... Who God puts the burden on to make things right. Um, Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, 
Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be uh, tempted. Let me ask you a question. When someone messes up, they're overtaken in a fault, who does God put the first responsibility on to fix it? Does he first put the responsibility on the person who had the fault? Or does he first put the responsibility on whoever is the most mature person in the situation? Yeah. Uh, if any man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself. Listen, if God would have put the burden on the person with the fault to make it right, do you know what would happen? Most times it would not be made right. But what God did is he understood who we are, and so he said, you know what, when there's a problem, I'm not going to put the burden on the person who is wrong to make it right. I'm going to put the burden on the more mature person in the situation. That, that's a great life principle. And, and so almost never are disagreements are problems. They're almost never 100% one person and zero the other. Almost never. I mean, most often, they're 50, 50, 40, 60. I mean, but when it gets into, wow, this is 80% this fault and 20% mine, we get this mindset, you know what? They are the one that messed this up. I'm not going to fix my part. My part's only 20% of this. I'm not going to fix it. And God says, listen, if you're truly spiritually minded, if you're more mature, it is the, your burden to take responsibility for your part. Uh, somebody in your relationship needs to be always the first person who comes and says, hey, I'm sorry for, and then you fill in the blank. And it might be the smallest part of what happened, but we are still supposed to take responsibility for our part first. Uh, now, in an ideal world, because God put uh, men in charge of uh, their home, that would always be the man. Uh, in a practical world, you know what? A lot of times it's not the man. Because sometimes he's not more mature as a person. Sometimes he's not more mature as a Christian. Sometimes he's not being mature in that situation. And so somebody needs to be the first one to apologize. I'm not asking you to lift your hand, but you, in fact, don't. Uh, you know what? There, there, there's probably a fair number of people in here who would say, you know what? My spouse almost never apologizes. Can I just say, that's not a good thing? So, somebody always ought to have a humble heart and say, hey, I'm sorry for whatever it is your part is. Even if their part was this and your part is this, you, if you're truly spiritually minded, you just step up and take responsibility for your part. Now, they may not still step up and take responsibility for theirs, but what you've done is you've pleased the Lord and you've just put your spouse in the best possible situation for them to actually take responsibility for their part. I hope you're somebody that apologizes. I mean, those are some of the most powerful words in a relationship. I'm sorry. Go back to Proverbs, and we'll continue talking about ways to fight fair, ways to not hurt our spouse when we disagree. <clears throat> and I get these are all learned behavior. I get that. That, that means... 
It will take time to get better and better at these things. Uh, by the grace of God, we can get better. He said, I've never seen or heard any of this. this um, in my house, my mom threw knives. It, listen, whatever it is you saw, you can, by the grace of God, not pass that on. Uh, how, do, how do I handle conflict? How do I disagree better? How do I fight fair? Here's number two. Handle conflict privately as much as possible. Notice what Proverbs 17, verse 9 says. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. He that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. One of the ways to ruin any good relationship is to repeat a matter to somebody who doesn't need to know it. It doesn't just separate friends, it separates very friends. See, repeating something that's in private uh, is not only unwise, it is also something that throws gasoline on your conflicts. Do not tell people about your conflict who do not need to know. I, I again, uh, I did not grow up in the Facebook generation, although I'm living in it. I do not understand the mentality of some people and what they post on Facebook. And I think to myself, are you that stupid that you don't realize that you just like stood on the roof and shouted these personal problems to the world? I, I really, I look at what? I mean, I, I, come on. You know, and there's been a lot of distrust built because people were not careful with information. A lot of bitterness produced. Always seek permission from your spouse to talk to someone about a private problem. Um, By the way, unless you are too insecure and too selfish, you will be glad your spouse is getting the help they need. Uh, on our survey, uh, the question was, have you agreed on somebody to talk to if you have a problem? And sadly, se- uh, 70% of the surveys said you haven't. That, that's, that shouldn't be. You, you know, sometimes you need somebody to talk to about stuff. I get it. I mean, a lot of things you can handle privately. Sometimes you can handle them by reading books and and things like that. And and I hope you don't handle them reading blogs because you have no idea what kind of an idiot wrote the blog. Uh, Listen, I am so amazed that people trust bloggers that they don't know. You might be taking marriage advice from somebody who's married four times and is unhappy in their fifth time. You know, find somebody that's good at what you're doing and talk to them. Find somebody. Now, for me personally, I would rather trust somebody in my family with private information than anyone else. But most people are not comfortable with that because a lot of times family won't give unbiased advice. But you need somebody. If I were going to make an observation about marriages falling apart, it would be this. People don't try to get help until too much damage has been done. You know, when the problem is like this, it's much easier to fix than the problem being like this, and it's gone on for years and years and years. Get help early. Um, By the way, when you really want help, 
You're glad to hear what God has to say about something. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll close for today. It's talking about how to fight fair, how to disagree without hurting our spouse so much. If you really want to know what God says about something, ask someone who might know. By and large, people get their advice from people who don't know anything or very little about what they're talking about. And here's our last thing for today, how to fight fair. Uh, Number three, don't stay angry with your spouse for very long. Don't stay angry with your spouse for very long. Ephesians 4, 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Say, how can I sin with my anger? (laughs) Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't stay angry too long. Now, I don't know. That could mean eight hours. That could mean 12 hours. I don't think the issue... Uh, if God would have wanted a certain number of minutes, we're allowed to stay angry. He would have done that. He instead, he gave us a principle. And the principle is this. You, you know what? Don't stay angry. I, I literally have been in conversations with people, and they told me they hadn't spoken to their spouse for three days on purpose. I, I have been in conversations with people where they withheld uh, marital affection for weeks because they were angry. That's really not going to fix anything. Listen, as married couples, we should make it our goal to never go to sleep at night angry with each other. So what that really means is that if the situation is not big, you just got to let it go. Or it means you need to just stay up and settle it. Our survey asked how many people didn't speak for more than four hours, uh, 30% of you. Um, Our survey asked how many people slept on the couch after conflict, about 17%. Um, (laughs) Our survey asked how many people were still withholding sex the next day as a result of conflict, 20%. How many people had left overnight, 17%. How many people had thrown something or grabbed your spouse roughly, about 20%. By the way, that doesn't make any of that stuff right. I, I, I think it's sad. I think it's a re- reflection of immaturity. I, I, I think it's ungodly. Listen, you are not going to get through your marriage and, and have, not have times when you're really angry at your spouse. I, I mean, I'm just talking really angry. That, that is normal. We, we all get angry. I get angry. My wife is about as gentle of a soul as you bump into. She gets angry, mostly at me. But, but listen, what we do when we get angry makes all the difference in the world as to how much hurt we do to our spouse, as to how much insecurity we get. What do you think it makes your children feel like when they hear their mom and dad say, you know what, let's just get a divorce? I mean, come on. You think that kind of talk pleases the Lord? Please just decide. It's not okay to stay angry. It's not okay to say anything you feel like saying. And, and, And people all over here, you grew up in homes like that, and you know how it made you feel. Please 
I plead with you, stop it. Uh, that's our thought for today. Next week we'll talk some more about how to fight fairies. You should have a little piece of paper, write something on it, and a question or a comment. If you don't have a question, just put a smiley face or some snide remark about uh, the coffee I spilled on my tie this morning or, or whatever, and then fold it up and stick it in the jar uh, in the front. Uh, God bless you. You are dismissed. Did you guys in the back get, uh, get, get them? Okay. Obviously, I shouldn't even have asked that question.